I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to What I Do Cobblers, Northampton Town fanzine reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reeds and today I'm joined by a box-to-box midfielder who performed for town for seven years. You get less for murder. Playing in a talented Stuart Gray side and also that night at Anfield. It's Ryan Gilligan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, buddy. Uh, good, good to talk to you. Uh, just going through your career a little bit, there were actually plenty of really good moments and um, some down moments as well. Yeah, it's it's good to talk to you. And you've been in Scandinavia for the past few years. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I've been over in uh, in Sweden after I uh, left Northampton. Um, left Northampton, went over to Sweden, played three or four years there, and then a club in the Finnish Premier League bought me. Um, uh, two or three years ago, I think it was now. So, oh, four years ago actually it was. So, um, been playing over in Finland. Um, eighteen months ago, decided to retire. Wanted to spend a little bit more time with my wife and my two children. Um, so recently moved back to the UK. Oh, that, that's cool. And um, obviously a bit of a Scandinavian adventure to to finish off your career. But you you played for Cobblers for a, a, a long time, seven years. So Northampton was a a big part of your your life to an extent and how do you how do you feel sort of looking back on that on that time mixed mixed bag I guess um extremely positively to be honest yeah. um I think that the fact that I had the opportunity to play football something that I love doing for, for such a long time for, for yeah. one club um you can only look at it as a positive thing um you build friendships you meet interesting people you're able to put down roots um and get yourself settled um lots of football players that you see they sort of at a club for one or two years and it's it's really really difficult to to sort of find that that balance between having a balanced social life and then being productive on the field but for me mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there like like you mentioned earlier lots of of highs and and some lows but without the lows you don't really get to appreciate that the good times that you had so you, you take it all and you look back on it now being a little bit older a little bit wiser some things I would do again, some things I wouldn't do again. Um, but for me, it was it was brilliant. The club was was great. Nothing but positive positive thoughts on it. Sure, that's 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 really nice to hear. And um, I think as fans as well, without the the low points, the the high points aren't quite as sweet. So it might be similar as a footballer. Um, but before we get into Northampton stuff, let's just have a, a quick sort of talk about your formative years. Your dad was an accomplished player himself and uh, an accomplished coach as well. So he must he played for Watford and he's coached. Uh, I think he's been involved in the England setup and at Nottingham Forest. So he, he must has, have been yeah. a big, big inspiration for you. 
it was. It was also a, a huge drive because, as as you mentioned, my dad was a really, really good player. He was similar to, to Paul Hubert's, actually, a big, a, aggressive centre-forward and mm. big physical presence, a uh, nasty player from time to time. And it was the case that I sort of um, was always in his shadow at Watford. Um, different kinds of players, if that makes sense. He, he played... Yep. Um, as a as an out and out number nine, he, he had a huge physical presence about him, whereas I obviously don't. Um, and it was a case that I wanted to sort of forge my own way. It was always um, sort of looming over me a little bit, as I, as I'm sure it is with most um, children that have successful um, parents. You, you're sort of always in their shadow, and and it, and it takes sort of a bit of intrinsic drive to sort of step out of that shadow and to go and forge your own way. And and like I said, it was it was the best thing that I ever did. And as a as a an inspiration for me he was he was brilliant he was extremely professional worked really really hard to perfect his craft um so i sort of had a good um a good base knowledge of of what i needed to do from a young age that was sort of instilled in me from the start if that makes sense yeah so you you had a because you were in and around the professional football a lot i guess you used to go and watch games and your dad in training occasionally and stuff oh, like that you would have had <laughs> you would have had a, a grounding in maybe what it, it takes the nuts and bolts of being a pro you, you had a bit of a grounding in that i think at the time um i took it for granted you know my dad right. was always as a young guy as a as a young father sorry and, and having a young son it was the case that we were always playing football in the garden um mm. I, had a, I had a smaller brother who's two years older uh two years younger than me so we, it, there was always that sort of competitiveness to be the best yeah. um so that really really sort of spurred you on but in terms of sort of how can I explain it learning learning your, your trade or your craft or or having that that positive influence there not many people ha- had that so I sort of felt that I was at an advantage and I just tried to sort of soak up all the information that that he gave mm. me as a, as a young lad I remember back in the day you were able to take your children to training um I remember you so I, I went to when he played at Swindon going to watch Colin Calder would train and what a beast of a player he was just a machine yeah, and you just yeah. think Jesus Christ how 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 could I ever be like that if that makes sense and obviously as sure. you grow up you, you realize that there's much more than having a than having a talent there is the, the, the talent is one percent it's the 99 percent of, of stuff that you need to be willing to do to 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 get your foot in the door with football and that's what a, a lot of young players don't realize now um yeah, sure like I said I was extremely fortunate that I had that and I had football people around me at that at the time there was always football people in my life my mum and dad they friends within football, successful football players, successful managers. And I was extremely fortunate, definitely. The uh, the link was there, funnily enough, with A.D. Boothroyd, who uh, I think you played under sort of briefly towards the end, but with Colin Calderwood. And I think Colin Calderwood was one of the, the big reasons for you leaving the Watford setup and coming to Northampton, wasn't it? Definitely. Um, he tried to take me on loan when I was entering the last year of my sort of uh, apprenticeship at Watford to go and play obviously down with with the cobblers and and AD said no and it was the case that I'd sort of spoken with with Colin regularly obviously knowing him from from a small boy uh, and he'd progressed uh, to a to a youth coach at, at Tottenham we we'd sort of speak regularly and it was the case that when I decided to to leave Watford um, which was a which was a really hard decision. You know, you're a young lad, and I sort of was stepping out of reserve team football and, and youth team football to coming into to the locker room that I did or the dressing room that I did that Colin had assembled at Northampton, and it was a complete wake up call for me in terms mm. of, like I mentioned before, having that 
professionalism that drive intrinsically and collectively that you need to be a successful team so for me it was a real shock to my system um and it was one that took a little while to to adapt to um but colin was brilliant david kerslake as well was fantastic he was colin's assistant at the time and they had such a great balance yeah um the facilities that we had down there at sixfields at the time were brilliant for a club that was in one of the lower leagues you know we had everything we had the gym um good good quality training pitches the sessions were always fun and enjoyable and for the younger players playing with the likes of of sean dicey and taylor martin <laughs> smith it was just for me as as something that had you you dream about doing you learn from them every day you learn from them and it, it was just a real education in terms of man's football you team I, football I can, and reserve can, team football is different so so different when you step into a proper locker room i can imagine what did you did you see obviously Dyche even those days was a massive character and a really imposing footballer? Yep. But did you did you see in him then that he would go on to such a massive career as a manager? I played with Dyche at Watford, funnily enough. Um, oh. So he used to kick me from pillar to post when I was uh, was it when I was a young guy and come and went went to train with the first team at sixteen and seventeen. Um, yeah. Sean is an incredibly intelligent man, um, and it was the case that um, he was always if he wanted to going to have that that ability that now to go on and, and, and become an extremely good coach sure. um and it was the case that he he chose to do it and his, his record speaks for himself you know he he's brilliant he is absolutely fantastic and and i can just imagine the knowledge that he's passing on to, to sort of his players the younger players that are coming through because he was stern but then he was fair you could have a laugh and a joke with him but when it was 9 30 10 o'clock you knew okay now we need to work so you go from your best friend to, to to putting a rocket up your backside if you needed it and for me it was brilliant okay yeah as a as a, as a young player coming through that must have been invaluable um you did you sort of come straight into a promotion season 2005-06 we came second under Cordwood, i think so i did it was uh pretty, pretty <laughs> like cool. i said it was a bit of a whirlwind for me really I'd gone from playing in reserve team football in front of sort of four or five hundred people to coming to playing in big stadiums big big games and for me it was the case that I was I was very much still learning my trade um, and I was just happy to be a part of it you know what I mean when you when you're part of a successful team to be able to contribute in in a small way is is a great feeling and like I said I spending time watching these these players Ian Taylor played however many games at the top top level um, yeah, it, it's just a case that for me, it was such a, a fantastic and an enjoyable time in my life as a young man to come into a, a team that was winning. Ian Taylor as well was a player that uh, knew how to slow a game down when it needed to. And uh, just that sort of experience and, and calm that is, is invaluable if you're a young guy, because you can sometimes, I guess, be a bit like a fox in the headlights or something. It just gives you that 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 experience and now to uh, to learn from, I should think. It was, it was honestly, those, that sort of early part of my career there really, really educated me. Not, not so much that everybody knew that the players that started the game were capable to win. It was how to find that way to win. And that was what Colin and David Kerslake and, and Mr. Cordoza had done. They'd assembled a team that were able to find a way to win regardless of the situation. And that comes from experience and and knowledge and playing the game across many, many different levels. And, and the group of guys that they put together all gelled off the field, all gelled on the field. And that that's so important to having a successful team. I guess it was a bit of a, a wrench then when Colin Calderwood, Calderwood left. He was obviously, uh, his, his, his style was on the rise. And uh, John Gorman came in, who um, 
who was very well respected and everyone I speak to about John said that what a, what a gentleman and uh, yeah. you know it's just a shame that it didn't go how he, he would have probably liked he had some um, you know he had a bereavement and stuff like that would, he did what did you did you would you would you sort of concur with what I've said in terms of absolutely John was one of the nicest um, individuals that I've ever met within football and I've, I've met a lot it was someone that always had the time for you um, I remember I got injured pulled the hamstring called me is everything okay then for probably a week after I just moved in on my own um, mm. are you okay Ryan do you need it do you want to take some food on from the canteen we can come and sort you do you need a lift in the morning I can come and pick you up he was so vibrant yeah um, and such a great man manager that for me it was the case that um it was a real real shame that that um the situation ended ended how it did with him um it, it just wasn't meant to be unfortunately but for me john was was an incredible human being more more so than a yeah than a that's football really coach yeah and for me yeah like i said pl- players were willing to go that extra mile for john because they could see that even though he was struggling with his with his personal life, he still came into work with a big, bright smile on his face. So yeah. might not get the result that we wanted at the weekend. You'd be dreading coming in on Monday, thinking, oh, God, what are we going to be doing? John would walk into the training ground, come and shake everyone's hand, give people a hug, sit down, have a cup of tea and, and a bit of breakfast with you. And, and all of a sudden you realise that football, although it was important because it's your job, there were bigger things going on in mm. the world. And that, that taught me something about life if that makes sense yeah i completely Um, understand uh, exactly and just being a really good guy and and it was the case that the more sort of people within football that are that are like john the better football will be Mm. you we finished i think we finished 14th we're in league one at this at this time so it's a a good level and we've never been particularly good at staying in league one but were you playing more (laughs) as a striker at that point because i think it was the, the next season where you started Coming more of a midfielder, is that right? Uh, to be honest, it was it was a case as a as a as a youth team player. You sort of at Watford, especially they they tried to teach you to sort of play in in, in a number of positions. If you're a centre half, you have to be able to play as a right back or a left back. You need to be able mm. to sort of be versatile. So for me, I was just happy to play. I would have played in goal if if John had said <laughs> that to me. It was a case that I just wanted to get some minutes on the field because I I, lo- I love football. Um, so I, I I was sort of used as a as a sort of a just off the striker, then sometimes out wide, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You play different positions, you learn different things. You you're not playing against the same sort of players every week, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So for me, it was it was great. It was great because then when you move to a more concrete position, you actually start to appreciate what that player might need, what kind of service he needs. Does he want the ball, for example, to go in behind now or does he want it to his feet? So for me, it was a a really, really good eye opener as to hang on a second, Ryan, you just give him a shit pass there. No wonder why he's yeah. not running after it because he wanted the ball to his feet. And I sort of yeah. understood a little bit more what was required of me. That actually makes sense because I, I remember you, uh, you know, playing, and I remember you as a really good link man. You could keep the play moving really well, and that might be might have been because of your uh, grounding in various positions where you, like you said, you knew which ball to to put in to keep the ball moving, and you know, ultimately get the ball in the goal. Yeah, it, it's it's just trying to trying to. I I knew my limitations, and that's something that I I, I found out very quickly. I was never, ever the most skillful player, never, ever technically the most gifted player. So for me, it was you get the ball and you give it to someone who was better than you. And I was lucky that I played in a team that had lots of people that were better than me, if that makes sense. We played in successful teams um, to a point. 
but also it was the case that whilst that's happening I'm still trying to develop my sort of skills and my attributes to make sure that I was as effective for the team as could be could be possible really. Yeah, and, and talking about the team, the next season, um, Stuart Gray came in, who himself was a very accomplished player, uh, played for Aston Villa and yep. like that. And um, I, I still reckon that 2007-8 Northampton side is still one of the best individually as a team. It was team. a strong team. We've, it was a really, really strong decades, team. decades, I think. We finished ninth for ultimately, but um, there was, I'll just reel off some of the names and for people listening that, you know, not a bit about problems will understand that. There was a lot of that was a lot of technique and sort of work yeah. in there. So there was like Mark Bunn, uh, Jason Crow was really good, accomplished right back. There, Gabor Diepes, I'm sure, came in the Hungarian who was just he like, was brilliant. Uh, yourself, obviously, Danny Jackman. He, I really liked him. He was um, Jacko was very... a wicked little midget, wasn't he? Yeah, he was brilliant. <laughs> and he, he could put a free kick in as well. Uh, and and he, he was could. versatile as well. He could go in centre midfield. Obviously, Akinfemwa yep. came in. Uh, the beast. John, I was there. Bradley Johnson at the time, already left. Yeah. Then I can't remember. I think the season we finished ninth, he, he was there. Yeah, John playing in uh, midfield with him. Bradley Johnson, absolute, you know, superstar. There was um, Holty was really solid up. Uh, you know, he could, he could yep. get the ball at the top. Paul Huberts, obviously. And again, yeah, Holty was one of the nicest men that I've ever met in football. Holty was such a character. He was brilliant. Yeah, we 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 talked a bit about him, and he 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 just said he really enjoyed playing in the team at that time because. Um, you could talk maybe a little bit about Stuart Gray and um, I've spoken to various people about Stuart and I think the consensus is you know a really good coach and the sessions are really interesting and obviously had an eye for a player maybe the yeah. management side of it was he found more hard but um, what would you say about playing under Stuart because for me they're one of the best sides we've, we've played with so I have a I have a completely different uh, opinion with Stuart. Stuart was um, extremely nurturing with me, I, oh. as I'm as I'm sure he was with 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 Jono and the other with Bunny definitely as well. Yeah. Um, he had a he had a, an assistant by the name of Jim Barron who was his. Uh, they played good cop bad cop. So oh, for right. me it was the case that Stuart was very much. Um, he was a very astute man, a very very smart footballing brain. Um, yeah. He knew what he knew what he wanted. And he knew what he wanted of his players, and he and he made that really really clear. I never yep. had uh, any issues with him. He told me um, exactly how it was. Ryan, you're not going to play this week because of this, this, and this. There was no mm. backhandedness. There was no um, trying to be overly friendly. When it's the case that ultimately I wasn't picked, it's because he deemed that I wasn't right for the game, and and mm. that was something that I really really appreciated as a young man um, to be given that honesty, to be given the trust to go. If you do this, there's a chance that you'll get back in the team again. So he gave me the tools that I needed that when I was left out, I could knock on his door and just say, hey, Gaffer, what's the situation here? I'm not in your starting 11 this week. And he'd say, do you know why? Because this, this and this at training, if you improve on that, we'll take a look at it again. So that would give me the, the fire, the fuel for the fire to go and, do you know what? I'm going to train really, really hard next week and, and get back in that team because it was a team that was winning and you didn't want to be out of it. It's an addictive no. feeling when you win, a really, really addictive feeling. The more you win, the more you want to, mm. to have that feeling, to be um, to be successful. And, and he, for me, anyway, others obviously have different views. But for me, he really, really enabled me to to um, focus on specifics, specific sets of, of individual tasks that I needed to improve on. And like I said, for me, he was brilliant. Like I said, um, moulded such a good side, and the the game that always stands out for me is the four uh, two v Swansea. You played the yes, game. 
because Swansea came in, obviously you know, Swansea are a big, a big club anyway, but they came in with uh, uh, Martinez as manager and several players that went on to play in the Premier League. But we we trounced them that day 4-2. Uh, do you remember yeah. that game? I do, very, very much. I think that was the game where Bradley Johnson scored from about 1,000 yards with a free kick or, or a ridiculous long shot. And I think... It I think was Hubert just a game two, but we yeah we beat yeah. them for two, and uh, they they were you know they were well fancied for the league and stuff. And Definitely, it all came together. Yeah, it, and it, it was a case that it, it it wasn't lots of people. I remember in in when you watch, I remember watching the league the league roundup, and it was Northampton had pulled off a fluke result. It wasn't that. It was uh, weeks and weeks and months and months of of preparation to to sort of culminate together and actually be able to produce what the manager wanted tactically we were i remember tactically we were brilliant from the start physically we were fitter than them um and we were more aggressive and and that was one of the reasons why why we had such a successful season lots of people in my opinion the year that we went up they were expecting us to sort of make the numbers up but obviously Mm. we we sat down in pre-season okay how do we be successful well firstly we need to be fitter than everyone else and let me tell you, there were some horrific fitness sessions. Absolutely horrific. Really? Well, Stuart, was under a, Stuart Gray? Oh, my God. Jim Barron. Really? He was he was absolutely merciless when it came to that. But it was a case that in the last 10 minutes of the game or 15 minutes of the game, you benefited from it. So it, pre-season was hard, really, really hard. But he made his intentions out really, really clear from the start. I don't want to make up the numbers here. We've got a really, really good team. We what can sort go of stuff places. You, they had they have you doing it in pre-season just for the listeners. Like what? What? It was lots. I remember sitting outside the athletics track, round the back of uh, at the back of the stadium, and Jim, bless him, I think he was about sixty-five at the time. God knows how he did it. He would drag all these weights out and he set out core sessions, core sessions, body weights. We'd do run after run after run, ball work, and it was the case that we'd be doing two, three, sometimes even four sessions during the day. <laughs> And and at the time you'd, you'd you'd walk off at sort of four or five o'clock and everyone would be looking at you Jesus Christ I'm shagged I'm absolutely knackered, <laughs> but then pre-season game started and and it was the case that you you felt really really strong physically mentally because yeah. physically when you get tired that's mentally when you start to go and and you start to make the wrong decisions but there was just none of that the team was relentless and it was the case that because we were so fit we were driving the next person and the player next to you to reach the level it was such, such a competitive environment we used to go down to abington park and and run these hill runs at abington park and if they weren't done in, a, in the right time everyone would do them again really and for me it was yeah because no individual is bigger than the team yeah. so he would set a time we'd be set off into groups according to what they believed the players could run in so um i was quite lucky at the time i had the benefit of youth on my side so there was myself bradley johnson holty was in this group uh dunny the goalkeeper at the time and we'd be at the front and it was a case that um we'd be set a time i think the others then would be two or three seconds sort of staggered behind um but if they didn't get in if we didn't get in in the time that they allocated us everyone would do an extra run just because, well, hang on a second. How can I trust you to go out on a Saturday? We're one nil down, and you just don't quit on me. And that was I, I the mentality how, uh, that he had. And, uh, how did Hoobs and Bayo cope with this? <laughs> Do you know what? Bayo is such a such a, um, a misunderstood character in terms of just his appearance. People have such preconceived ideas about him. That man worked so hard, considering yeah. that he's a hundred odd kilos. He worked so hard, and and for people to see someone. Um, pushing them and he had a horrific injury you see the scar on his leg it looks like he'd been bitten by a shark 
um, for him to come back from that and people telling him you're too big to do this, you're too big to do that. And it was the case. He'd be the first in the gym in the morning and he'd be doing extra weights. And gradually, gradually he came up to speed with where we wanted to be and it benefited his game. No end. Then with Bayo being brilliantly fit, strong, healthy, it benefited everyone's game. So everyone bought into the system that Stuart and Jim had. We might not have liked it, but you do, you find yourself buying into the fact that, well, firstly, we need to be fitter than everyone else, because if we are, then we'll be able to last longer. There might be teams, Swansea, for example, that keep the ball better than us, but they're not going to be able to outrun us. They're not going to be stronger. And ultimately, you start building up a resistance to it, to the fact that, you know what, we might be the underdog, but we're a bloody good side. And we were. Like I said, if if we had one or two results that we possibly should have won and the ninth then turns to fifth and then you're looking at it in a completely different situation. So it was really, really unfortunate. And I think at that time, Stuart had put his trust in a lot of the, the younger players, myself, Jono were playing and, and possibly that naivety in how to close out a game at the next level maybe cost us a little bit. I don't know. That, that season with Stuart Gray still lives long in the memory, finished uh, ninth in the league, which is about as high as we've got. We're going toe-to-toe with people like Forest, Swansea, got some good results. Yeah. Against. But next season, got relegated. I still don't understand how it really happened. I don't know, maybe you can provide some insight. Uh, there's a million and one answers to the question that, that I uh, still struggle to find. You know, you, you still struggle to find the answer that I believe is right. Maybe it was a case that we took for granted um the the work that we'd put in previous in the in the, in the previous season you know and we thought that do you know what we are good players and and we didn't do the basics right that would be my honest honest judgment and honest call you know in terms of Stuart's management and and Jim's management collectively there was there was no change it was the case that maybe um players sort of thought that it would happen yeah do you know what we we beat these last year we're, we're good enough to do it again instead of making it happen we were a bit more reactive instead of proactive in that season and it was the case that much like winning losing becomes a really really bad habit um it's the case that you sort of go into a game with a negative feeling jesus this is going to be a tough one whereas previously it was a case not in forest away no problem Twenty-five thousand people they're brilliant yeah. as opposed to it sort of then working against you the, the next season because it's it's a really really difficult um, sort of rhythm to break when you're losing because you, you tend to train longer, you tend to train harder because people want to rectify the mistakes, but it just doesn't come. It doesn't come. And it was it was a case that we were really, really unfortunate with with some results that we had and losing players to injury and suspensions where in important times we could have needed them. Um, a mixture of things. If you ask Holty, for example, he'll have a different opinion it's all I can only give you my my side of it and I, I feel that we were as prepared as we were the previous season we were as fit as we were but maybe we weren't mentally as sharp as we were in that previous season uh going into it you know because it was a physical season it took I remember the season finishing and I was absolutely exhausted because you'd given everything mm. um and then you have your summer break you tend to unwind a little bit but sort of two two or three weeks after that you then right okay I need to get myself fit again and the the tempo that you play at in League One is completely different to League Two because teams can really punish you with the ball. So it was the case that I, we needed to make sure that we were really fit. Like I said, we had a really productive preseason again, played against some good teams, had some decent results. And then it just didn't quite click. 
that that mm. chemistry that we had before didn't quite sort of manifest itself, which was really really disappointing. I know the players. I remember being at Leeds away, and it was just the, the case that this is horrible. What a feeling, and and people getting on yeah. the bus after, and it's just it's heart wrenching, and and people tend to sort of overlook the fact that. The, the guys were genuinely devastated. I didn't go on a, on a summer holiday that year, and I know a few of the other lads didn't because it's literally we don't deserve to. Mm. And it was it was just a dreadful, dreadful feeling. But from my, I, remem- I, I remember the uh, Leeds the Leeds game. It was at Ellen Road, last game of the season. It was. Down. What what a place to go as well for the bloody. I was going to say if you're going to go anywhere, not it. yeah, exactly. Didn't um, they have um, Jermaine Bickford up front as well? I remember him causing us a few problems. They did. They had. Player. He was um, prolific, wasn't he? And it, it was just a case that we obviously knew we needed a result, so the pressure was on us. I I wasn't involved in in the, in the squad that day. I was in the stands, and I just remember sitting there. and And for me, it was. It, well, I was a fan. I was a fan, and it was help. I was helpless, and I remember sort of looking around, and you see the people that had travelled there, and and you just mm. thought, fucking hell, that. that they, I feel as they do because I couldn't do anything to help. I'm not saying that me playing would have made any impact on the game whatsoever. But the fact that the players that were on the pitch were sort of in control of the of the, the club's destiny at that time and mm. I couldn't do anything. So for me, it was especially hard. Um, but like I said, you go into the locker room afterwards and, and players are, are genuinely devastated and you realise then that this group of individuals really, really care about the club and you know, we sat down, we had end of season meetings and, and everyone was trying to put their finger on what was wrong. And it was just the case that it just didn't happen for that season. It ju- And you, you hear it a lot. It, it, things just didn't click. And for us, it was the case because we hadn't really sold any players. We hadn't really invested it. It was the same nucleus of the squad that had been together for, for a few years now. So everyone knew each other. And, and it was a case that, OK, had, had the league got better? Were we simply not good enough? Obviously, the table says that we weren't, and that's me looking at it factually. I have bittersweet, bittersweet um, memories of those sort of the ninth and then the the relegation season. For me, it was um, a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. Yeah, I think maybe uh, in a way, I wouldn't call it in the end of an era, but there was uh, were changes of obviously uh, Gray eventually gets sacked, and uh, in Sampson comes in a real. Yeah club club hero in many ways and a, and a really good yeah. servant football club uh there were some good times under Ian Sampson how did you how would you characterize Ian Sampson as a manager making that step up how would I characterize him absolutely unbelievable what a genuine human being what a dedicated professional to his craft like he'd join in in training he'd, he'd still be one of the best players at training he was everything that you'd want if, if you were a chairman looking at a looking at a a guy to promote from within. Uh, Samo was really, really, um, I don't know, brave to take the job, in my opinion. You know, he had such an incredible reputation as a player. Yeah. And you realise quite quickly that if things don't go so well, that that reputation is forgotten. And I remember sitting down with Samo. When I first signed for uh, Northampton, the guys I'd signed after the guys had gone away on a pre-season tour. So I actually spent a bit of time with Samo training with the, the youth team. Um so I sort of knew what Samo was about anyway. And I remember speaking to uh, my dad at the time and he just said, how's it been? And I just said, yeah, we've got this coach and he's unbelievable, tactically brilliant. Like, I don't know how he's not involved with the first team. A couple of years later, he he, he steps up. So my relationship with Samo was, was, was brilliant. 
he was such a friendly guy, brilliant to have in the locker room. He brought Malcolm Crosby in, who for me was was um, very much a father figure for me. Um, he was incredible. Um, such a, a, a footballing brain. You could pick his brain about anything. He'd sit with me after training for hours and hours. We'd watch video clips on players. Nothing was too much for both of them. And for me, I had my most productive season when, when Samo came. So yeah. I thought he was fantastic. Such a, such a great guy. You got uh, that season, I think you scored 11 from midfield and eight assists, if I'm right. That's, Something that's like not that. A bad return. I believe so. It was, like I said, you, you realise that when you, Samo gave me the freedom to, I was playing with Ab, with, with Ozzy at the time, with Abdel Osman, and, and, and Abs was one of the best I'd ever seen in, in being destructive. He was so good at breaking the play up, and he, we forged yeah. such, a, such a great relationship with, it was a case that I could almost go wondering, because I knew that we always had that insurance of, of him being there. So for me, it was... It was a case that I'd sat down and someone just said, go and enjoy your football, go and play, go and get in the box and score. And that license, being given that license without the sort of restrictions of of needing to track back immediately, you can do, you know what, if the ball breaks, just hang around for a split second, see if because we, we might be able to regain possession and then you're in a, a position to score. It was more positive thinking as opposed to, OK, we need to get back into our two banks of four. He sort of had that uh, belief that, you know what, we are good enough to go and get the ball back higher up the pitch, which then enabled Bayo to be so brilliant, which it was just, it was a joy at the time. I know we'd obviously been relegated, so we had a bit of a point to prove, myself especially. Um, and I was extremely thankful that, that Samo had given me the opportunity to do that because I know a lot of players after uh, they get relegated at other clubs, they're sort of all shipped out. So I was extremely thankful. Yeah, I think the what you're saying in terms of Samo giving people the freedom to play a bit even which is a bit strange I guess for a centre-back that he was but um, <laughs> that was his philosophy I guess and I, I, that, that probably did culminate the next season in that amazing night at uh, Anfield where yeah we the, 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 the you played with with no fear and the ball was being moved from back to front really well and there were people then obviously Michael Jacobs was a real real talent that could move the ball he was uh, Kevin Thornton who was a really good player uh, but yeah. another character but Obviously, that night that night must be one of your highlights of your career. Must be definitely, definitely is. I, I've um, it gives me goosebumps. I, I've I've got the video of Hints. Hints sent me the video not not uh, not too long after we actually played them. And from time to time, if I'm feeling a bit reminiscent, I'll stick it on in an evening, have a nice glass of wine, and it still gives you goosebumps. It's the whole um, the whole drawing Liverpool at the time. I was scheduled to have an ankle operation. Um, I was due to have some uh, bone taken out of my foot that had grown I had a, a, an excess bit of growth that was going to basically rule me out for the season and I remember we, we drew Liverpool in the in the cup and it was a case somehow I was in the the Stuart room in the in the Stuart room in the physio room with Stu uh, it was the physio at the time he came in he just said have you just seen who we've drawn <laughs> I said yeah he said are you sure you want to have this operation now and the physio obviously was going ballistic Ryan because I was taking five six seven ibuprofen to, to get through a game um, and it was a case that no, he needs to have it done. And uh, he sort of looked at me, raised his eyebrows, walked out, left it with me. And then it sort of marinates in your head. Jesus Christ, it's Liverpool at Anfield. I'm never <laughs> going to get this chance again. Um, so I sat down with, with the physio and he sort of said, you do realise that if it, if it goes during the game, it's really, really bad news. But ultimately, you're a grown man. You make your own decision. So I went and sat with Samo and had a conversation with him. And he said, if, if, if you're fit and if you choose you're going to play so it was the case for me 
that I needed to get myself fit. So I sort of had a, a couple of weeks, I think it was, to get myself fit. And I remember never working so hard in my life. It was the case that the physio beasted me up at the gym. We were doing sort of eight till six every day. And that, that enabled me to put me in a position to to make myself available. And just everything, the preparation, going to stay in the hotels. There are hotels that you stay in when you travel with football. Um, there are hotels and then there are hotels. But Mr. Cordoza had done everything to perfection. The hotel was phenomenal. I remember going in there. I'd never seen such a big bed. Um, <laughs> breakfast was perfect. You know, the guys were in such good spirits. And, and, and it wasn't so much the 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 um, the fear. It was the fact that, Jesus Christ, we get to go and play on this historic venue. And yeah, getting, to the, getting to the ground, walking out onto the pitch, I've never in my life seen such green grass. It was mind-blowing, the stadium. And I remember walking out when um, the teams come out and you never walk alone comes on. And I remember for the first time in my life, I got goosebumps and yeah. I found myself singing the song as I'm walking. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you shouldn't be doing this. But the moment just sort of got hold of me, if that makes sense. And then the game, to be honest, I don't really remember much about the game. It's all a bit of a blur. But yeah. then certain points obviously stand out if that makes sense i remember standing next to ryan Babylon thinking jesus christ you're a monster mm. uh, certain certain sort of aspects of the game really stand out for me but the the night as a whole was just something and i'm not sure if it's because it was such a good night that you can't process all of the information yeah, but my family were there sorry that's been an overload of emotions and it, what, oh, it definitely was and we we grew as well. We grew into the into the match. We did. Do you know what? We we all knew that Liverpool were going to um, were going to obviously have more of the ball and and possibly be a bit more um, effective with it from time to time. I remember we obviously went one nil down early, but it was the case that I thought we held our own against some players that had played it. Uh, obviously, it wasn't Steven Gerrard and and those type of players, but you had players that were seasoned Premier League players at the time. And uh, Jay Spearing, I remember at half time, he, he said to me, Jesus Christ, will you guys stop running? You're killing us. <laughs> and that's and, and that was as we're walking off. And it was a case that you walk into the locker room. The lads are so upbeat because we were playing really, really well. Yeah. And it was sort of that momentum, that that um, desire to sort of go out and say, Do you know what? You you might be a Premier League player, but I can more than more than hold my own against you. And the more the game sort of developed the more I felt in my heart of hearts that do you know what there's going to be a chance here we had some magical players like you say crackers was was a uh, was one of the most outstanding players I've played with and then Kev Thornton unfortunately in my opinion is a bit of a wasted talent because he was the most gifted footballer I'd ever seen um, yeah. in terms of what he could do with the ball um, it wasn't his path uh, football wasn't his path um, but he could have gone on and 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 really really made a, an incredible career because he was phenomenal and and those that night they they shone uh, and it was the case that the penalties obviously came and Samo asked who wants to take a penalty I remember hiding I think behind one of the goals because I was desperately <laughs> desperately shitting my pants and didn't want to take one um, so it, it was just the case that um, the boy stepped up and you, for some reason you just had ultimate faith in them you knew. Yeah. And it, I'm not sure you hear it was meant to be and la la la, but I genuinely believe that that was was our night. So for me, it's one of the fondest memories I have within football, definitely. Wasn't it so uh, cool of uh, Abdul Osman Ozzy to uh, 
to, to put the penalty away the way he did it. Probably quite indicative of the way he played, just quite sort of unfussy, just and he just stepped up yeah. and tied it away beautifully. Well, and, and that was the thing, the fact that he was the first one. Now, Abs had never volunteered to take a penalty in his life. That's yep. the confidence that he had. I, on the other hand, we'd, we'd had a good game, but I just sort of thought, I can't be the one to miss. I'll get battered here if I miss. Um, not only from the lads, but from my mates. So it was a case that, uh, and Samo, because Samo asked me, do you want one? Uh, and I just said, no. And he said, okay, great. Because I, I didn't want to take it knowing that I wasn't 100% confident. The guys that volunteered. You need people that want to take them, don't you? Cause I've, I've exactly, exactly myself. right. And and it could have been the kit man. And if he'd have taken it and scored, no one would have cared. But Abs was so chilled when he took it. I remember, he, he looked at me and just said, I've got this. Strolled up, tucked it away, took his shirt off, showed everyone his eight pack. And then it was <laughs> just one one of those things that it was it was such a surreal moment for me. I remember standing there. It. it was almost like, it was almost like punching Mike Tyson on the nose and, you know, knocking him down for like momentarily. Yeah. You, 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 you almost want to run away. Like as fans, we were like, just in dreamland in, 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 a, in a Premier League ground, you you guys did, you know, run around the pitch and did loads of celebrations. It was a magic night. And um, Next day, to be fair, the Liverpool fans were all very magnanimous and said, you know, best team won. So that's probably the best thing about it. I remember Roy Hodgson. I, I I saw Roy as we were walking out, and and this this sort of shows that the the class of of gentleman that he was, and um, he he walked as I was walking out to the to the team bus. He was coming out of the Liverpool locker and walked over, and Ryan. He said, Ryan. I turned around. He said, Great game. You guys were absolutely outstanding. Shook my hands, and he just said, Best of luck for the next round. You thoroughly deserve it. And for me, there, lots of managers are, are bitter, but that was just for me. It just summed up the whole night. Yeah. what he's done in management to be at that club and to have the players there and for him to take a time to speak to someone who, who relatively doesn't exist on the football spectrum was was brilliant very, very classy gesture uh, again moving forward uh, it was probably one of these bittersweet times where Samo Samo ends up getting sacked the next season from not even particularly bad bad run of form I think it was, it was a, a of draws, six draws it? six draws in a row yeah but it's not sadly yeah. like the, the end of the world. And uh, I still think very harsh on him. It must have been quite sort of shocking for you guys, I guess. I was gutted. I was absolutely, from from my perspective, I was gutted because um, I'd just come off of a, a really productive season. I'd just signed a new contract, um, had had having had offers from elsewhere, big offers from elsewhere. Um, but it was a case that I really, really wanted to to stay and be part of, of the club. Um, so for me, I, I thought it was a a little harsh. But look, listen, football is a football is a business at the end of the day, uh, and this is True. one thing that I've learned now, sort of stepping aside of of, of playing. You look at it as a business. Um, I'd like to think that Samo would have been given a little bit more time because, like you say, it wasn't like we were losing and we were we were performing well. It was the case that we were a little unfortunate. Um, the belief was there within the squad. Um, everyone backed Samo, and and that was the really really. I don't know, gut-wrenching thing that someone that you'd known that had been such a servant to the club, such a loyal servant to the club, had sort you of... You feel almost like you've let him down a little bit because you're friends and stuff. Absolutely, of course. Uh, but that's the same with every manager. Every yeah. manager that you sort of you see go, you just think, Jesus, I've had a part to play in that. Because mm. at some point, I've contributed to his time here. Samo, it, it hurt a little bit more than most because, like I said, I'd known him since I was 18 years of age. So for me, it was, you sort of lose a friend, um, but also you lose a really, really good um, footballing man, if that makes sense. So for the club, you, you look at the servants at the club, flipping heck, he was, he was up there with, with the best. 
um, and, and Malcolm Crosby left as well, which was devastating um, eventually. So for me, it, it was just the case that I sort of became really, really disheartened. And I know a few of the other, excuse me, a few of the other guys felt the same. It's just like, where do we go from here? Summer was sort of the lifeblood of the club. Yeah, um, sort of so it was a tricky. big part taken out. And then on, on paper, to be honest, Gary Johnson seemed a, a reasonable, uh, you know, addition. Uh, for, for the Definitely. He, well, I, uh, I, a, a good, a good, you know, a good, a good um, CV and everything. And just that, you know, that didn't work out particularly great. What was your, what was your take on Gary Johnson? Well, I knew, I knew Gary as well. From Gary was a, a youth, a youth coach um, when my father was uh, coaching the Watford Reserve. So I, I knew Gary. I knew his son Lee. Um, football people what what uh, they were incredibly astute football people Gary was always um, gonna have a, a good career in management he obviously went to manage Latvia the national team and and then um, some other clubs he did really really well at Yeovil and, and it was just a case that football was in his blood um, for me it was it was difficult to um, to not accept but to to go from such a a unique bond that you have with a manager to someone who was completely different and the, the, the sort of the ideas and the, and the way that he wanted to do things, it was, it, it was tr- drastically different. Um, Summer was a completely different personality to, to Gary. Uh, and that was what I struggled with a little bit. Um, but in terms of, uh, in terms of looking at it purely based on a football decision, I can understand why, why Mr. Cordoza did it. Definitely. Mm. Um, Leon McKenzie's. Uh, he, he was playing with you at that time. The yep. striker turned boxer. Um, yes. I wouldn't personally want to mess with, especially with his uh, his, his family have got a big pedigree in boxing too. He's got a, an autobiography out, and um, let's just say he didn't get on great with Gary Johnson. And um, yeah, so it was, the, it, it was difficult. Maybe a bit of a divisive Yeah, it was it was difficult. Obviously, I'd I'd said some things um, after I left um, about Gary that, in hindsight was was wrong you know in terms of of his that was gary gary was gary in terms of in terms of people not getting on that's daily life that's daily life i don't get on with my wife sometimes um but but it's the case that in my opinion the way that things were said the way that things were done were possibly a little disrespectful to um to players that had given an awful lot to the football club now, don't get me wrong, just because you'd had a couple of good seasons doesn't mean that you are an automatic choice to play. That you never guaranteed that in football, regardless of who you are. You need to earn that. Yeah. And that's not the issue that I had. The issue that I had that w- was the way in which he spoke to people, his uh, general manners. And for me, it, it came to a point where at 23, 22, 23, do I need to accept that? Probably not. Would you accept it if someone spoke to you like that on the street? Definitely not. And and I know that that um, Leon had had similar issues, and it was the case that that was just how it was at the time. Looking back at it now, the things I said I shouldn't have said because they were wrong and disrespectful, and it makes me no better than the person that I have the issue with. Yeah. Um, and I would address it differently now. Um, uh, like I said, it, it was just. You're you're a young lad, and you're you're only like 33 now, and you know you were yeah. you. Were, we're learning your game and everything, and maybe also because you'd you'd work with people like John Gorman, Colin Calderwood, who were, you know, um, dealt dealt with things slightly differently. You you had a quite a strong contrast with. Um, Gary it was it was so, night and day, night and day, yeah, like you say, yeah. night and day. And, it, and for someone who has um, 
don't get me wrong, I'd had the tough love. I'd had that. I'd had the 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 Dyches and the Ian Taylors, uh, Scotty McLeish, Lee Harper. I'd had that from them. So it wasn't something that I was completely foreign to. The fact that it became personal with him in terms of what was said between myself and him in, in locker rooms and, and, and the way that he spoke with other teammates. And because I'd been there for a while, it was the case that, hang on a second, this isn't the ethos of this football club. This isn't what this football club is, is, is built upon, in my opinion, at the time. So yeah, and, and and that's football, and and of course. We, like in life, and you've explained it really well that you're not going to get on with everyone. And looking back on the totality of it, it doesn't it doesn't affect your career at Cobblers, which is pretty much almost entirely po- positive. And uh, you did sort of, I, th- I reckon you, maybe your time in the club was sort of naturally coming to an end, and you had to you were starting to look for different opportunities and maybe a different change after being somewhere for seven years and you were was this when 2012 you went over to you got you must have had a call with uh graham potter and went over to sweden to austin yeah i um obviously left left northampton um martin allen offered me a a four-year deal at gillingham um really really good money Gillingham I'd went and trained with them in pre-season had a really really good pre-season uh sat down with uh with Mad Dog Allen and and he sort of said to me look we'd like to offer you a four-year deal Gillingham are a big club big lower league club great facilities and and it was the case that we were sort of finalizing um contract details and then out of the blue I get a I get a call from a from from Graham Potter um and it was the case that after the the incident that I'd had with Gary Johnson, I'd sort of become a bit disillusioned with, hang on a second, how can someone treat another human being that way? You mm. know, it was just, uh, is this going to be the case that because I'd been so fortunate in the previous managers that I had, that I'd had that relationship with them, that this is going to be the case in my next one? Yeah. Um, so Graham flew over from Sweden. Um, I met him at the Grove in Watford. He, he bought me dinner. We had a few drinks and, and we sat down and he said, look, I've played against you. Um I'm building something special here and I'd like you to be a part of it. Um, and I sat down after a few more glasses of red wine with him. We, we sort of spoke contract wise and it was a case that I met him on the, on the Wednesday, um, signed my contract on the Friday, uh, called up Martin and, and, and told him that this is a situation. I'm really, really sorry. And he said, look, for him in football, you need to do what's best for you. Uh, we would have loved to have you here. The door's always open if you decide to come back. Um, so I hadn't hadn't seen the city, hadn't seen the stadium, hadn't met anyone. Couldn't speak a word of Swedish. I'd uh, obviously, um, <laughs> it, it was just a case that you know what, fuck it, why not? What have I got to lose? It's a case to go and to go and really, really enjoy football again because that that time under 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 Gary Johnson was difficult for me mentally. Um, and it was the case that yeah, I needed a change. Um, you become a bit stale when you when you you're in a sort of prolonged position for for x amount of years and and i spoke with the people that i trust my agent at the time and they said it's an opportunity it's a really really good opportunity i went there and my eyes were just opened to just football isn't in the uk if that makes sense because that was always my concern am i going to sort of forget it if be forgotten if i flipping i had the best best time the best time in my career was in was in scandinavia without a doubt oh really that's that's really interesting um did you you moved to Ostersund and Ostersund, uh, yeah. is that right in the, how do you pronounce it? Ostersund. Ostersund and is that right in the middle of Sweden? I'm looking on a map now. 
No. Well, in, t- in terms of, yeah, log- logistically, probably. But it's sort of in the middle of nowhere. I think the city has something yeah. like 20,000 20, 20, people. It was it was the most beautiful place um, yeah. that I'd ever been. And it was the case that you go there. They had a, a stadium just like Northampton's artificial pitch, indoor training facilities. And I sort of I'd signed a contract without any expectations. Do you know what I mean? So um, I flew to Stockholm. Then you have to get a plane up. So the, cl- uh, the club, they had a club plane. They flew down. Um, Graham Potter was on the plane. It's about an hour's plane ride. So um, we sat, we had some dinner on the plane. He just was just like, we've got everything prepared for you. Um, they rented me an apartment, rented me a car, um, got to the got to the stadium. And it's like it, it was it was fantastic. That's all I, I can't even describe to you how it was um, because you, it just beggars belief. I remember speaking to my dad who knew Graham and my dad said, you've done all right there, haven't you? I said, how did you know? I said, because I knew that he wouldn't allow someone to come out if it wasn't already. The apartment they had me, it was a, a four bed apartment in the middle of the city overlooking the lake. And it was just like I, I felt like I'd finally, after a sort of a really, really troubled year, found a sort of um, a place that I could settle again. Um it was a case that I went to school, I learned Swedish, and I was so, so happy. So, so happy. Massive contrast. How did you um, sort of um, adjust to life life in Sweden? What, is this uh, season, that must be out of kilter with ours for like, because their winter's really heavy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So we play uh, from spring to sort of November time. And then obviously you get a ridiculous amount of snow. Um, and then you have sort of two or three months off. You go back in sort of January, February. Um, which is when you have your indoor facilities, your big, massive heated indoor domes that have the state of the art pitches on. And then you spend sort of three, four months getting yourself in good shape. So for me, it was a was a really, really different culture um, in terms of how football was looked at. Graham was um, really, really smart because Graham was a was a young man. He just um, just sort of come out of football himself. And he spent a lot of time with Roberto Martinez. Um and it was the case that you could see that Roberto's influence had, had really, really paid off with Graham. We had sports scientists come in, dieticians. We had just everything that you could imagine. It was like being at a Premier League club and we were in the, the sort of first division in, in Sweden. Um, so for me, you sort of, wow, this is incredible. So you were you were involved in a, quite an exciting project there. What other English players went over with you? Because there was some more, weren't there? Uh, a lad called Jamie Hopkirk, um, who had played at, at York. He was sort of like a, a younger player at the time. He was at Hoppy was only um, 17 or 18 or 19 at the time. Um, he came out. Um, I think he was the only other Englishman that came out with me when I first signed. Um, but it was the case that as soon as the club started to do well, um, players that sort of maybe had fallen out of the Eng- fallen out of the English game or or wanted a bit of a change were were, were coming over. We were we had a Mexican player, Brazilians, Span <laughs> Spaniards, Italians. It was such a such a diverse locker room that everything was just geared to, to being the best possible player. It sounds uh sounds quite like a fun setup to be part of. And obviously Graham Potter was very talented guy and is, is now at um, Brighton. So yeah, his star was rising as well. You won. You win the promotion. Uh, yeah, we well. did in my first season. Yeah, we did. So we we went to sort of the the championship essentially, um, and that again you, you is another step up. And, and as we stepped up, it was the case that the chairman Daniel Schimberg at the time he invested heavily, invested heavily in in the um, in the club 
we had a new stand built. There was even more facilities that were put on for us. It was just, it was just a case that we we really really progressed, and it was just such a positive thing to be a part of. That's uh, it. Sounds just a really uh, exciting thing to be part of. Towards you know the twilight of your career to an extent. You know your your later years in your career. And can you just quickly uh, exp- uh, talk us through how your after you left Ostersunds, because you stayed in Scandinavia, what, what clubs you played for after that? Basically, I, I uh, for the first time in my career, I sort of moved for money. Um, it was a case that, as you said, I, w- I was getting a little bit older, um, wanted to essentially make sure that I had enough money to retire. So I, I took a contract with a club um, who were an established club, um, was offered a, a three-year deal there. So I took it. It was a club down in near Stockholm. Um, and that was possibly one of the worst decisions that I've made. I, I, I left somewhere where I could have really, really sort of um, um, had a had a had a long a long a long career, if that makes sense. We were, were sitting down and they were looking at the options and the club that um, signed I signed for Braga. They said, look, whatever whatever Ostersund are offering, you would double it. So it was a case that financially it was it was silly for me to to turn it down, if that makes sense. Looking mm. at it retrospectively. Um, I wish I had done because if I'd have stayed there, it would have been a little different. Um, so yeah, I moved to Braga, um, played the season there. Then they, funnily enough, that three-year contract it, it soon uh, disappeared because they went into administration. Right. Um, and it was the case that, that Graham called me again and, and just said, look, we, we'd like to have you back. And I just sort of settled, got myself a house down there. And um, so I ended up signing for the rivals. Um, which was a which was a um, an interesting time. Again, it was a team that was coming up um, within within the Swedish football system. It was a, a team full of youngsters, a team full of players that um, possibly should have made it elsewhere, but didn't. Attitude, uh, not given the opportunities, that kind of stuff. So I was sort of the the elder statesman of that group of players, which was which was really really interesting. Um, so I had two seasons there, which I thoroughly enjoyed, did really, really well there, uh, narrowly missed out on the playoffs and then decided to uh, to go and back up north again. I signed with Umia, um, which was a which was a club that was um, a big, big club again, uh, a club that had really, really big uh, history. Um, the manager at the time was a, was a young man called uh, Johan Sandel, who who um, people were touting as sort of the next Graham Potter, if that makes sense, because Ustershund sure. went on and on and on. Um, and I'd spoken with him numerous times uh, in, throughout my time in, in Scandinavia. And he sort of said, look, Ryan, I, I want you to come and be a part of this. We're going to um, give you a coaching role as well. So I went up to there, signed a, a three year contract there and we, we did extremely well. So uh, Johan was a manager. I'd sort of was just starting to take my coaching qualifications, which was brilliant for me because he allowed me to go and go and coach, which was brilliant. And I wasn't coaching the youngsters. I was coaching the first team. Um, which which was great, and then after a productive season, the, the club had an offer from a from a um, a team in Finland that played in the top league, and um, sat down with them, and I just said, look, I don't want to go. I really don't want to go. I'm really really happy here, and the club has said, yeah, but it's the the biggest transfer that we've had. We we can't turn it down. So my sort of hands were tied essentially um, with that, and and the, the manager didn't want me to go, but I sort of felt that the board did because of the money that they would make for it. Um, so I signed there and, and don't get me wrong, Kemi was a, was a, was a, was an interesting place. Again, a really, really small town. Um, but I had a, I had a, a really, really good time there. A couple of English lads that played there, 
um, one of them made good friends. One of them's godfather to my son, uh, to my daughter. So it's the case that I'm really, really thankful that it happened. Um, I would have liked to have stayed in Sweden a bit longer, moved over to Finland, met my wife, and and like I said, retired 18 months ago. Like as a kid, I've I've lived a dream, if that makes sense. So for me, it's okay. The next part of my life, and the next part of my life is going to be the next 25 years, as opposed to having a, a two-year contract and then after that at 35, I'm sort of scratching my head, thinking, what am I doing? So sure. at the minute, I'm I'm, I'm a qualified architect, so um, designing houses is is what I'm doing. Oh, I did. I never I never knew never knew that. I, so you've done the full qualification of an architect. I have, so that's one of the one of the reasons um, I wanted to go out to, to Scandinavia because you have so much off time. Um, you spend so much time in hotels. You spend so much time away from from any distractions. It was the case that I said to them, "Look, I want to do a degree." Um, that's part of the stipulation that I come over here. Um, Graham Potter said, "Brilliant. What do you want to do?" I said, "Architecture." He said, "Okay, you can help us design the new stadium then." So it it was the case that I sort of sat down, had a look at it, went to um, the Open University, spoke to them, spoke with the PFA and just said, look, I'm going to be playing out here, but this is what I want to study. And they were just like, no worries, we'll help you with it. So I I sort of had a degree paid for by the football club as as part of my contract. And it was a a four year course. And like I said, I'm extremely fortunate now that I'm able to to sort of provide for my family after football as well. Uh, that's uh, that's really interesting to hear because I wasn't uh, 100% sure what you're up to now. And quite ironically, considering the uh, rigmarole of Northampton's unfinished East stand, I'm sure you uh, probably would have uh, produced a better it's design than that thing. It's painful to watch. Do you know that it is? Because yeah. the club, is, where it is, it's just got so much potential to, to be yeah. whatever it, whatever is sort of the imagination. But it's sad when you see it. It is it is a little bit like, oh, my God, they could have made it so much better. What do you, uh, what is your, yeah, you've, you talked a bit about the potential of Northampton. Obviously, we've got a massive catchment area and there's not, there's yeah. no real clubs in Northamptonshire. Brushton and Diamonds have gone by the wayside. So yeah. you, you, you're, you're one of the people that thinks actually Northampton actually has got a real potential if, if it could just uh, be run in the, in the right way, I guess. Logistically, you look at it, as you've just mentioned there, there's nothing within a, what, a 50 mile radius? How far is Peterborough away? Not that we talk about them, but do you know what yeah, I mean? It, it, it's the case player. that you have the, the pool of Milton Keynes is, is sort of the next biggest thing. But the one thing that I learned in, in Scandinavia is that the lots and lots of, of time and money and infrastructure is sort of directed towards the youth because in Scandinavia, they don't have the money from the sponsors. They don't have big investors coming in. They don't have chairmen that sure. are prepared like Mr. Cordoza to spend the fortune. So it's the case, okay, how are we going to get this player to be the next Adebayo Akinfenwa? Well, we're going to teach him. And it's yep. the case that Scandinavia provide it or, or the leagues in, in, I didn't obviously play in Norway and Denmark, but Sweden and Finland provide everything that you need then all you need to have is the intrinsic motivation to do it. I think yep. children here now, for, I've got two younger brothers. Um, both of them are more, more interested in, in, well, what boots am I going to wear? As opposed to, hang on a second, how am I going to perfect this craft? Or how am I going to be better at that? It's, God, I look good in these football boots. And that's yeah. what you see a lot, of long, a, a lot of young kids today. It's more about this this image that's portrayed. Well, actually, being a, being a professional footballer is... is, is such a privilege when you look at back at your your whole career you look back with a whole whole load of pride and when you look back at your time at Northampton you've still got a place in Northampton so you, you must still have it was a big time in your life and a, you must still have a, a real affinity with the club and everything I went from a from a boy to a man in in, in Northampton uh, so for me it's 
it will always hold a place in my heart definitely my when my wife and, and myself looked um when we moved back when we when we built our house it was a case that okay we looked at Northampton first because I'd known the area I'd known the people I'd known the city I had such a such fond memories of it that you you only can look at it in a positive way and and the fact that I spent almost a decade there as, as a young man. It's the case that memories that you have there are, will always, always sort of be prominent in my mind. Um, my wife loves it. She loves the city. She loves all the parks. She loves the buildings that are there. Obviously she's quite in Scandinavia. You don't have sort of cities like that. When she goes to London, she's dumb, dumbfounded. You should see her face when you walk around <laughs> London. Um, but Northampton is, a, is an extremely special place for me personally. Um, and obviously for the fans, like I said, you've got six fields there that that deserves to have good players coming to play there, good players playing for the club again. And I really, really hope that the the sort of um, management system or the board that are that are in place at the minute give pe- the right people the right time to do it because Rome isn't built in a day. Nothing can be guaranteed overnight. But people need to have continuity. They need to have stability because that's when the players certainly from my perspective anyway, you are able to perform knowing that, okay, the manager's not going to get the sack if we lose this week or he's not under pressure this week. It's that sort of trust that the manager gives us that also people need to give to them because it's not difficult. It's not, it's not easy being a football coach at all. It's, it's really, really tough managing players as well as managing your own expectations. It must be awful. That, yeah, that's true. I, I asked this to a, a bit of a devil's advocate. I, I asked this to like pretty much every player I speak to. Ha, would would you have like enjoyed uh, coaching yourself uh, if you were like you were a coach and you were, had had yourself in the squad? Would you? What would you have said to yourself? <laughs> are we talking? Are we talking post Scandinavia or post Scandinavia? No, definitely not. Um, I was um, I was a bit of a hothead. Um, really, really opinionated. But then I was allowed to express that opinion with the player, with the management that I had. So it never became a problem until I left. Um, looking at it now, if I had the maturity that I had when I moved over to Scandinavia, because essentially you sort of left there, you need to sort of forge new friendships. You just dumped in a city that you don't know anyone. So you need sure. to adapt. And looking at it now, if I'd have had that mentality when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, before I left for, for Sweden, my path might have been a little different. Not that I would change it because my sort of choices had led me to where I am now. But looking at it, I possibly would have hated to manage myself post-Sweden. Uh, I, I spoke to uh, Paul Hubert, said, said the same thing to himself, and he did a bit of coaching and stuff. And he, he, said, he said something fairly similar, but he sort of added that, that football needs characters. And it was those Definitely. sort of characters and, and the individuals that created the team, which creates extraordinary teams. So sometimes if you take away the passion and certain elements of people's um, psychology and stuff, that you lose something. So you can never, you can never win, I don't think. Definitely just, not. But career is what it is. Why am I not surprised that Hoop said that you need to keep the characters in the game? He's absolutely <laughs> right. He's absolutely right. You do, but there's also... There needs to be a, a line that, and, and Hoops was brilliant at it. He knew when enough was enough. Uh, and now you have people that might not, if that makes sense. Oh, I, like I said, you see the youngsters playing these days and they're all, how can I portray this wonderful image? But yet there are souls off the pitch. And, it, and it's just the case that 
you need to be a good human being first and foremost if you're a good human being people can understand you know what he might be a bit grumpy from time to time or he might say the odd off the cuff comment but he's a good guy now you just have too many fake individuals that are more concerned about the public side or the public view as opposed to being a real human being because everyone fucks up everyone makes mistakes yeah and it's just a case of being big enough to say do you know what I was a real ass. I was a real dickhead. I'm sorry. And then, do you know what? People can accept it. And if they don't accept it, you learn from it. And that's what I found really, really, um, really, really quickly. I found it out really quickly that, do you know what? I'd said some really shitty stuff and uh, to, to people and you pick up the phone. Do you know what? I'm really sorry. I said that, mate. I was bang out of order. No worries, mate. Get on with it. And it's just sort of you move on. Characters need to stay within football, but the appreciation for the game needs to needs to start to come back again because that's gone and it's really really sad yeah i think that's a that's a good good summary and i just just through talking through you you can see see the real sense of growth throughout your career and you did you did hit hit the first team quite young and it was a process of growth and um sort of looking back at your career it's really nice to be able to to talk like we have done because a lot of times you put you put a big shift in for the football club and then, then one day you've gone and you don't really ever get a chance to you know maybe say goodbye to people that you'd like to or you know have yeah. a side of it it just gives you like this, this conversation's giving you a little chance to to reconnect with us all and stuff and um, definitely it's really nice and hopefully you come back and watch some games and stuff when oh, I've, I've been back i've been back many many times that's the thing it, like i said to you northampton will always have a place in my heart it's a place where i was able to fulfill a childhood dream so i i come back three four times a season when i pop up to see the flat like i said there's it's, it holds a very very fond um place in my heart the people and that's one thing that northampton has that many many football clubs don't it has people that truly want the club to do well yeah. as opposed to the the glory hunters you can say when the team are doing well everyone turns up when they're doing so at northampton it was never like that with the cobblers people would always be there pissing down with rain on a tuesday night in december there was still three, 4,000 people there. For me, that's something that I'll always be grateful of. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's nice to catch up with people and, and hopefully people will feel like they know me a little better. We've just filled in a few of the dots in between, which is really, really nice. Good. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad it's helped. Like, it's been brilliant for me to talk to someone that, that's in, in, involved with the club that holds a, holds a dear place in my heart. And like I said, I wish nothing for the best for the club and, and all the players. I'm sure that when this obviously season starts back up again or if it doesn't that they can sort things out and, and take the club back to where it should belong because it's it, it's a club that needs to be in in the the higher levels definitely without a doubt yeah i, I agree there's, you know there's no reason why we couldn't be for instance a championship club with the right with the right infrastructure and stuff but yeah great talking to you i'll wrap up now but um if you keep in touch and I'll, I'll pass you if you want i can pass your your details onto radio northampton if you fancy doing a little bit of punditry and stuff because you've got you you're a really uh erudite guy i think you just will have a lot of good uh sort of opinions you know for football matches and stuff that sounds like a plan mate that'd be brilliant always nice to help great stuff and uh, you take care of yourself and we'll speak soon likewise buddy thanks for your time i appreciate that no worries take care mate thank you bye-bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.